You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Gino looks, going to lay it up over the top. Got a man out there. It is locking. He has got it. Touchdown, Seahawks. Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. First and 10 at the Seattle 40. Play fake Stafford. Going to stop. Going to look. Gets hit. Goes down. Back in midfield. Getting to him in the backfield is Daryl Taylor. Presented by Delta, the official airline of the Seahawks. Now, here's your host, Jen Mueller. I started frantically flipping through all of my notes, realizing that for the pages that I have in front of me, the thing I could not find, John Boyle, was the notes that I took following the Seahawks game Thursday night against San Francisco. And you know what? I have made an executive decision to not revisit those notes. Works for me. I just think I just think that it's best that we had a little bit of time to move on from that one, that we turn the page and take a look at this Dallas Cowboys team. The one thing that I will say, John, though, is... This is a unique situation, I think, in the Pete Carroll era. It has not felt like this before. And and I'm not saying it's a bad team or anything. There's just it's just it's not quite matching up. It's like the puzzle pieces are so close, but you just can't quite get them to fit. Yeah. You know, for a team that, you know, had a lot of expectations coming in the year and started off, you know, after that initial loss, started playing really good football and what five and two is kind of the high water mark there. It's been a little up and down since and just trying to find more than anything, find what works on offense for them. That's kind of been the, the issue of late is getting that going. And it does like this team just doesn't lose two in a row very often under Pete Carroll. If you look at their history, they they're good at bouncing back from wins. So to lose two in a row and lose pretty lopsided score last week it's tough but you know now they got to show they can fight back from that when you look at those offensive numbers in the first quarter in particular and then you look at how much ground they have to make up in the second half against a 49ers defense that is one of the top in the league they're going to be facing yet another one of those this week I think it might sound ridiculous to assert that there's too many options out there that there's almost just like a wealth of playmakers and you end up playing the what about game right like but yeah. but but what about him but what about Jackson but what about uh Zach Charbonnet but what about but what about it and I think in some ways having so many options creates a challenge for either Shane Waldron or for Gino or it just Sometimes you want to narrow the choices down a little bit, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we've seen this offense function really well. A good example is they've done really good stuff with multiple tight ends on the field. But you also have a receiver in Jackson Smith and Jigma you want on the field. And if you're going to play three receivers, you're not going to have two tight ends on the field. So it becomes that trade-off of, you know, who do you get involved? You know, how do you kind of best utilize all those different weapons you have? And more than anything, it just comes down to, like, whoever's out there get some third downs, stay on the field. And then there's, you know, if you sustain more drives and you can have one of those games where you run 70 offensive plays or whatever, you're going to be able to get more guys involved. Well, and that's the thing. And Will Disley pointed that out, that in the last couple of weeks, they've actually been able to sustain drives. They've been able to march the length of the field. Where they're coming up short is red zone and making sure that they're scoring a touchdown instead of settling for a field goal on that one. Having said that, Pete Carroll reflects on where his team is heading into Thursday's game. I think we're, we're at a crucial point. Yeah, I think it's crucial that we, we make sure we're, we're together. Uh, this is a, a really challenging stretch coming, and uh, they're always hard. But um, we got to get get our minds right and make sure that we're focusing on uh, doing the right thing and executing and playing ball really hard with great effort and intensity and all the kind of stuff that uh, we like to build this team around. 
yeah, you know, Pete Carroll's never going to diverge from trying to treat every game the same. But even with that, you can kind of sense the urgency from Pete Carroll of like, look, you can't play like you did against 49ers in any of these upcoming games and have a very good chance. Like these are really good teams that you need to just be a cleaner, better football team against. And he knows that if they don't get their stuff right, it's going to be real tough for them this game and every game going on forward. So this is a big week for them to just sort of try to get back on track and get back to playing the football they're capable of. Well, and the offense cannot afford to do that this week in particular. They have got to own time of possession when you look at what Dallas can do and how quickly their offense can take over a game. John, we've mentioned this between you and I. The Cowboys have the best record at home of any team in the NFL. 13 in a row. They've won 13 in a row. They have won five straight this year, and they have... Never trailed at home, which is wild. This is crazy. (laughs) And I know that there's a lot of baseball folks out there. So if you don't know, I've worked on the Mariners broadcast for 16 years, 17 years now. And every year there is a large portion of the population who believes I have the power to jinx the outcome of a game. I assure you that if I did, there would never be an extra inning game. Yes. And we would always win. Like, yeah. and, and no no opposing hitter would have a hitting streak of any kind. I'm going to put this to the test. Mm-hmm. We need to mention their streak at home so many times that we break the jinx. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to point out, we were mostly successful last week. Remember what we asked fans to do? I do. The, the buns or the what was it, the loaf? <laughs> wait, what, what, where what, are I, you going? The, the, food, the food that you wanted them to get. What were what? they? The food you wanted Pumpkin them to get. Pumpkin loaf. Thanks loaf. for listening, I was thinking John. of, Thanks for some reason I had listening. sticky buns stuck in my head. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Loaf, buns, it's all bread. <laughs> I, it's all sweet bread. I think you should bread. quit while you're not <laughs> ahead. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so the story was George Kittle likes pumpkin loaf before every game. We asked 12s to make sure that there was none available. I don't know if he got the pumpkin loaf or not. Here's what I do know. He only made three catches on five targets, 19 yards. That is tied for the third lowest output this season. So either way, 12s did their job. The job this week is to talk about uh, the fact that Dallas scores points and has maintained the lead in every single game for the entire game. Here's what confuses me about this, John. Yes. I can't find a pattern. I I can't. There's no one rhyme or reason. There is something that I can point to when you look at the home games. But we were thinking, I mean, maybe Dallas wins the toss and they elect to defer. So, you know, or they, excuse me, the the opponent wins the toss and elects to defer. Like, there's mm-hmm. all sorts of things that, right, maybe Dallas just ends up with the ball first every time it scores. That's not the case. No, they just keep finding ways to get the lead. In I, fact, they're not even scoring necessarily on their opening drive. Well, their defense is pretty good, too. Well, That's... their defense is really good. What I will say is this. The teams that they have beaten at home this year, Washington, the New York Giants, the Rams, the Patriots, and the Jets— those teams do not have winning records. Yeah. And in fact, not only are they beating those teams, they have beaten every one of those teams by at least 20 points. The largest margin of defeat was on Thursday night against Washington, where the Cowboys came away with a 35 point win. Yeah. I mean, they've been crushing teams at home. But to your point, they have so far 
not had, you know, their, their toughest games so far have been road games, 49ers, Eagles, so they've not had a really good test at home yet, and the Seahawks hope they are the team to provide that test. Well, and uh, to do that, you're going to have to find a phase of the game that you really excel in. If I had to put you on the spot right now and say and ask you which part of the game Seattle excels in right now, what would you say? A prediction or what we what we want to see them excel in? Well, how about what they have been able to do, do recently right and what they should be able to do? I mean, overall, I know it hasn't been perfect, but I like what they've been doing on defense still quite a bit. They've been, you know, guys have been getting better there. They've been, you know, the, the run defense isn't as good as it was earlier in the year, but just I still feel good about that side of the ball. Offensively, we just need to see him clean that up. And I really liked what we heard from Pete Carroll and Geno Smith, kind of the emphasis on they know they got to get the ball out a lot more quickly because we saw him get sacked six times last week, and this pass rush might be even better that they're seeing against the Cowboys. So figuring out a way to get the ball out of Geno Smith's hands so it's not on the offensive line to protect for a long time. I want to see that get better. Well, you got play callers that are very familiar with the Seattle yeah. team and vice versa on both sides of the ball. Brian Schottenheimer is the offensive coordinator. Dan Quinn, the defensive coordinator. He likes to bring pressure. Micah Parsons likes to get to quarterbacks. 11 and a half sacks this season, and he is a unique athlete. They do move him around quite a bit, and uh, you know he, you find him. He can be behind the line of scrimmage. He's always on the edge. Sometimes he's inside. So they, they know that they have something special, and so they they continue to try to keep finding spots where he can be effective and find himself in almost unusual situations. So the system that you know. In the, in the, the calls system doesn't always include him as a linebacker when he's a down guy. And so there's, they're just trying to mix him and, and match him, and, and they're doing a nice job of them. Yeah, Geno Smith talked about Mike Parsons a little bit as well today. It's, it's not just that he's a really good football player, which he is. It's that he can be anywhere on the field. Like this is a guy who's good enough to be a just legit off-ball linebacker making plays there, but he can also put a hand in the ground and rush off the edge. Uh, just really good knack for the ball. I think he's – forced like three or four fumbles every season of his career so far just great player and one that is not hey if we just take care of the left edge or the right edge we're good it's you got to take care of the whole field with him i am not a fan of comps like player comps Mm -hmm. but there are two that i'm going to bring up this week it was jaron reed who said that michael parsons reminds him a little bit of von miller and just kind of the shenanigans. Oh, I'm sorry, it was Will Disley who yeah. said that it was it, it was uh, Vaughn Miller and just yeah. kind of how he plays a game within the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, just the different moves he has, the way he he can rush different ways. He's he's a dangerous player. You sound a little bit frustrated by this matchup, John. Is frustrated no, the right it's not word? Frustrated. It's just you. Are you just tired and confused of what day of the week? That's it is? a big part of it. I'm just lost and. Adrift with no idea what a day drift. It is. I'm just gonna You're show up and get on a bus tomorrow. This sounds like a I... big problem, John. <laughs> I don't like to think of you being adrift. I'm still rattled from my uh, loaf buns mistake. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say Thanksgiving. <laughs> oh gosh, boy, uh, we don't have any fun on this podcast no. at all. Um, in order to do all of these things that we're talking about, look, Geno Smith has to be, um, I don't want to say be perfect, no, but they've got to no. be on point. Here's one of the things I think you forget when he is launching deep balls downfield, you forget that he came into that game hurt. He did not take his normal warm up. He did not take uh, snaps during practice. And while Geno this week said he wasn't thinking about it and didn't affect him. 
there is something about having a normal, albeit odd, a normal week of work, particularly for the quarterback. First off, let's get him well, okay? Let's get him really healthy, a whole week of practice. That'll be good. And then, uh, you know, it was only a couple weeks ago he had one of the better games he's ever had. So he's, so we just need to be in sync. We need to be connected and we need to be making the right choices. Gino can, you know, there's a couple in every game. There's always choices for the quarterback. Does he go here? Does he go there? Just try to maximize them, uh, not miss opportunities that might show up. You know, his, his accuracy is, is pretty much on. You know, he's, he's, he throws the ball where he wants the ball to go for the most part. We got to get open. We got to use the concepts right. There's always things he can do better. It's just reading more quickly and the ball out more you know more readily so we can avoid the rush yeah i mean it is really a a team effort we keep hearing that and it it almost sounds cliche but you can't just expect the quarterback to fix everything it you know a lot of the game will always fall on the quarterback just because he's the one making the throws making the decisions but you know as gino always says he can get better but they do you know the receivers can help him there's been some drop passes the the protection can be better it's really you know just all around they just need to you know, it doesn't feel like they're super far off, but there's just these little things here and there that have all kind of added up. And, you know, you get that one negative play, it drives dead. So it's just they, they got to just clean up a few little things and, and start functioning better. Well, and I also wonder if you start running, if you start leaning on the run game yeah. more right out of the gate this week. Last week, Ken Walker was not able to go. They're going to take it right to game time, I would suspect, with Walker this week. We saw Kenny McIntosh active last week, but only playing on special teams. It was Zach Charbonnet and it was DJ Dallas who were charged with the uh, carries last week. And while there weren't a whole lot of yards on the ground, it was a chance to see Charbonnet in that lead role. I thought he looked good. I thought he looked he looked uh, normal out there. You know, he was a normal contributor to the team. It wasn't like he was some young guy trying to find find his way. He's such a good competitor, and he knows his stuff so well. He's really accountable in, in that regard for a young kid. And uh, so I thought he fit in well. He, we had no reason to take him out. I mean, he did he did everything we were asking him. Yeah, just not enough plays to really get that ground game going. Since we're talking about Zach Charbonnet, how about if we bring in another member of the podcast who also wants to talk about the Seahawks running back. As you set your fantasy roster and lineup for this week, it is our fantasy insider expert, Scott Engel. Thanks, Jen and John. And in week 13, six teams are on a bye, making for some challenging fantasy football lineup decisions. But we have you covered. You want guys who are seeing a lot of field time, and Zach Charbonnet will fit the bill. Even before he was the feature back last week, he was regularly on the field for over 50% of the snaps. The Seahawks want to achieve optimum offensive balance. Also, run the ball effectively if they can, keeping that Dallas offense off the field. So Zach Charbonnet is in play as a flex option for Week 13. Other running backs I like in Week 13, Rashad White has a good matchup against the Carolina run defense. Both Pittsburgh running backs are in play against the Arizona Cardinals in a good matchup. Jalen Warren is consistently getting near that 100-yard scrimmage mark. And also Najee Harris is getting consistent shots to get in the end zone. Also in that game at wide receiver, I like Deontay Johnson for a good amount of volume. Good amount of targets to have a bounce back game. Uh, Denver will play Houston, and you got to score points to keep up with the Houston Texans. So, for the Broncos, I like Cortland Sutton. He's been a steady performer recently. At quarterback, look for Brock Purdy to have a good game against Philadelphia. That Eagles secondary can be tested, and they have great weapons in San Francisco. Also, Sam Howell. 
You also have to throw a lot to keep up with Tua Tug of Viola. So I like Sam Howell to throw a lot against the Miami Dolphins. Here's a deep play at tight end for you. New Orleans, Jawan Johnson. The Saints are dealing with a lot of injuries at wide receiver. And Derek Carr will look to Johnson in some key situations. And here's sleepers for every position for Week 13. In case you have to dig deep, they include Kenny Pickett, Jeff Wilson Jr., Devin Singletary, Josh Downs, Jonathan Mingo, and former Seahawk Gerald Everett. Check out more of my work at Seahawks.com on the Fantasy Insider tab on the news page. Also check out my sleepers and busts on thegameday.com and my lineup rankings at rotoballer.com. Back to you, John and Jen. Thank you, Scott. Well, I promised you two player comps today, even though I hate them, but I didn't make the comp to begin with. So you ready for your next one? I am. I did not expect to hear Richard Sherman's name brought up in this press conference this week. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty darn high praise. Another fifth-round pick and a guy that just keeps making my five. We should probably say who we're talking about. Yeah. Deron Bland. Deron Bland. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I guess I just assume he's a household name by now. <laughs> Look, I, I'm going to be honest. I don't think I really knew who he was before this season. I, you know, the name sort of rang a bell. He had a solid rookie year, but all of a sudden this guy's breaking the NFL record for pick sixes, and he did it in 11 games. That's we were talking about this before. Richard Sherman had a Hall of Fame career, had three pick sixes in his career. Yeah. Daryl Rivas already in the Hall of Fame, three pick sixes, and this guy did it in 11 games, five of them. It's crazy. Crazy. Now, he does have, like most guys, he's got experience on both sides of the ball. If you go back to, like, his childhood and and what he played, like, in Pee Wee and and all of that, he started as a running back, then he became a quarterback in middle school. He was a wide receiver, and he said when that ball's in the air, he just goes back to tracking it like he's on offense, which sounds exactly like what Richard Sherman did. Yeah, I mean, and another guy we've seen with some interceptions recently, which is Reek Wollen, another receiver who... Tied for the NFL lead in interceptions a year ago. Yes, which is going to make it just a little bit more challenging on the wide receivers because I'm very curious. I, I haven't watched enough Cowboys football. I I'm, I kind of make it a point not to watch a lot of Cowboys football. Fair enough. I grew up in Houston. I just I don't watch a lot of Cowboys football. Uh, to know how exactly they're going to use him, but you have to be aware of that. And DK was talking about that this week, right? He does everything that a wide receiver should do. Yeah. So you've got to be smart when he's mm-hmm. in your area. Now, yeah, DK's sure. got a few pounds on him. Yeah. But, but that's, you know, as DK said, it falls on the receivers to make sure that you are protecting the football as well. It's not just the quarterback making decisions. It's knowing that you have this really aggressive defensive back so you got to beat him to that ball, you know, cut off angles, use your body, make sure you're not letting him come snatch the ball away. Playmakers for the Cowboys on the offensive side of things. I feel like I could talk about the defensive playmakers all day long and totally forget that it's Dak Prescott running the show. And Dak I mean, like, Prescott having probably the best season of his career yeah, so far. He is almost to 3,000 yards. He'll get it in this game. I think he's yeah, like 65 70, yards 70% away. 70% yeah. completion percentage. It's crazy. He's he's playing really good football. Yeah, so C.D. Lamb is his top pass catcher. He's, uh, I think, number three in the league in yards. And it's Tony Pollard, who's the running back. And I would say this, like, finally a running back that's not that scat back type. Like, finally a guy who's not Christian McCaffrey. Finally a guy, uh, finally an offense that's not going to run all this eye candy like you've seen the last couple of weeks, except that it's Tony Pollard. Yeah. 
he will run it downhill and he's really good at it. So this will be a good test. We've seen some tackling issues pop up here and there, and this will be a nice test for the defense to show that they can get back. I mean, we're talking about this run defense being one of the best things about this team for the first, you know, eight, 10 weeks of season. And then there's been some games where it's gotten away a little bit. So this will be a chance to, to get back to that if they can play some sound defense. I was asking a couple of our uh, D linemen, like I, in this, I'm not trying to disrespect Pollard. I'm just contrasting styles, right? Is it easier when you know to anticipate that he is going to be running downhill and this is smash mouth football? And the response was, well, no, because you still have to tackle him yeah. and you have to get leverage on him because he's short. And so, you know, you've got to make sure that your pad level is where it is <clears throat> and that you are fundamentally sound. I looked at my spotting board. He's actually listed at six feet tall. That's not short. I wouldn't I think so. I, wouldn't, I, <laughs> I wouldn't think so. Now, to be fair, the people I were asking were six, five, six, 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 four. So I mm-hmm. get it. I get to it. To them, it's short, I guess. That, that's so short. Um, I do want to ask you, though, when you talk about the tackling issues, I think some of this goes to having young players on defense. And a breakout year does not mean that you have everything figured out. Mm -hmm. I I think that there's still some things, especially when you are playing a grueling stretch, when you're coming off of this weird week. And I will say that I have seen some of the veterans having conversations on the sideline during games about taking the extra step. I don't think that the young players are intending to be lazy and not do it. I just think it's one of those things where you believe in your ability so much and then you get burned and then you have a vet get in your face and say, hey, that's not how you tackle. I think some of this is growing pains and it's not fun to go through growing pains. No. Because there's far too much talent on that side of the ball. Yeah. On both sides, quite honestly. But there's far too much talent on the field at any one time to be having some of those issues and those yards after contact. Yeah. We've, I mean, we've seen him play so well on that side of the ball, but there have been these moments and you know, a third down that jumps out last week of, you know, they've, they've got the guy behind the sticks, three defenders converge and he kind of drags himself across. It's like, yeah, those, those plays can't happen. Yeah. And to be fair, I was able to watch a decent amount of football over the weekend mm-hmm. It was happening all over the league. Yeah, it, it is also that time of year where the offense has an advantage uh, against just tired legs and tired bodies. Yeah. Um, we are going to take just a very quick break to get a word from our presenting sponsor. Statistically, the world is losing color. Just consider all-white kitchens, beige baby nurseries, a sea of gray cars. But in the hundreds of destinations Delta flies to, you can rediscover color in the bright blue waters of Hawaii. The emerald green hills of Scotland, the berry pink cherry blossoms of Tokyo, and so much more. Sometimes opening your world is all it takes to open your mind, which is why when you fly Delta, your potential takes off when you do. Delta, official airline of the Seattle Seahawks. Can we give some love to special teams and D. Eskridge? Sure. Let's. I mean... 66-yard kick returns are fun. That was fun. Yeah. He had like 140 yards in returns. 140 yards in returns. Good to see. I mean, he's obviously it's been a tough go for him so far in his career. A lot of injuries, one suspension that have really kept him from ever showing what he can do. So 
uh, you know, hopefully that's just a little taste of what's to come because having a, an explosive guy on special teams can make a big difference. I talked to him after the game and I asked how long he'd been waiting for that look. And what I was really trying to figure out is how long had special teams been setting up for that sort of look in the return game. And he said, I've been waiting for that for three years. I mean, yeah. that that's what I was hoping to be able to show fans for a long time. So that was outstanding. Jason Myers kicks a field goal. I, I bring this up because um, all three phases of this Cowboys team is really good. Yeah. Their special teams also exceptional. Their kicker, Brandon Aubrey, he is uh, he holds the NFL record for most consecutive field goals to begin a career. He has kicked 22 straight field goals this year. This is playing into my jinx. Yeah. Uh, 22. Can you yeah. believe it? It's been 22 straight I can't, field goals, I mean, goals, he's John. never going to miss. You know what? He it's may never miss a field goal. also one of the reasons <laughs> that the Cowboys have not trailed in a game at home this year. Right? Can we, can we give a quick shout-out to his story? Do you know his background? He's a former soccer player, drafted by a major league soccer team, kicked around. I, he literally he kicked, he kicked, kicked around, around <laughs> a couple of soccer leagues. Well played. That was not even intentional. And literally the first organized football he played was for the Dallas Cowboys. It's pretty awesome. Do you think he realizes, like, the team that he's playing, how big that is? Yeah. I mean, now he probably does. I'm sure he does. I don't know. Yeah. Do the Dallas Cowboys hold the same, like, esteem among soccer players? I mean, American soccer players, they still know what, you know, the NFL is, even if they didn't play football growing up. So it's hard not to know about the Dallas Cowboys. It's kind of shove down your throat when you're a kid. Like there's a lot of Cowboys games on growing up that I didn't really care to watch, but that's what was on TV. So. That is true. Uh, I will also share with you my first locker room experience was with the Dallas Cowboys uh, when they truly were America's team at the height of their popularity. And it was funny because this week, uh, I think one of the reporters or the team maybe had posted <clears throat> just kind of a normal day at practice. Right. And everybody was gathered around trying to do these midweek interviews they're standing on ladders. So now, yeah. now when fans are watching, when you guys are watching press conferences, the quarterback and the head coach, they're all at podiums. Mm-hmm. Well, it used to be that only the head coach was at a podium and everybody was in the locker room. So back in the time, it was actually Troy Aikman. That's how old I am. And the photographer, one of my jobs was to carry the ladder. And I don't mean a step stool. An I mean an ladder. actual five foot ladder into the locker room because the camera guy would go up top and then. And it was kind of like low man into the scrum there trying to get the microphone where it needed to be. Sounds like fun. It was um, My, it was a um, it, it was something every week. The first time I think I was in an NFL postgame locker room, I was covering high school sports for the Seattle Times, but they had me helping out with some NFL stuff. So I was in the visitors locker room, Cowboys. And, oh, the owner's going to talk after them. Uh-huh. I thought that was normal, that the owner <laughs> just does a postgame interview after a loss. <laughs> Apparently, that was the one and only owner interview yes. I've sat in after a game. So yeah, I didn't, I, uh, I didn't know. Cause yeah, I uh, yeah. Naive. I mean, it's just it's it's different. I mean, Deion Sanders, Emmett Smith. It was uh, it was quite the locker room. Okay, it is going to be quite the matchup on Thursday. So, John, I need the two things that need to happen for the Seahawks to come away with a win. Well, we talked about all these defensive playmakers the Cowboys have. Let's just keep the ball away from them. And I think I'm going to kind of dovetail off of that, but I think that's going to involve Geno Smith making good and quick decisions. Good decisions keeps the ball away from their DBs. Quick decisions keeps the ball from Micah Parsons wrecking the game for you. 
And then since we just talked about special teams, I want to see a game-changing return, block a kick, just some big momentum swinging play because when you're talking about a team as hot as the Cowboys are, a team that has not lost at home all year, has not even trailed at home all year, I don't know how they do it. It, it, Those are the kind of moments that can can help you out in a game when things are maybe stacked against you otherwise. I would love to change that stat and to end that streak of leading for every second at home right out of the gates. Um, I I don't care if Dallas... Uh, wins the toss and decides to defer. I want Seattle to score points on the opening drive. You have got to start fast against this team. That would be one. The other is time of possession needs to be closer to even. It has not been in the last few weeks, and you have got to keep fresh legs out there for the defense. The offense needs to sustain drives. So time of possession, I I would love it if you could win that by a large margin, but how about if you just keep it really close to even so that uh, you've, you've got the best chance against this team? I love it. Okay. Well, let's see if we can end the Cowboys' home winning streak. Come back with a big win. We'll be back with you next time on the next edition of the Seahawks Insiders Podcast.